0: of how God works in so many different ways to bring about His purpose. Uh, there was a professor by the name of Peter Stoner. He's the chairman of the Department of Mathematics at Pasadena College. And there's over 300 prophecies in the, Bible, in the Old Testament about Jesus and he took eight of those out of, the, for the, around the birth of Jesus. And he said, he, he said, what is the probability that these eight prophecies would be fulfilled? And he did the math. He's a mathematician, right? He did the math and he came up with 10 to the 17th power. 10 to the, so, so put all those zeros behind right? So so he said, this is the best way I can describe the probability of these eight, just eight, being fulfilled. He said, if you took silver dollars, you took one silver dollar and you put an X on it, or painted it red or whatever you want, you you symbolize one silver dollar. And then you took the state of Texas. We got any Texans here? Woo-hoo, right? Big state, right? You took the state of Texas and you filled it two feet deep. Two feet deep. Thank you, ma'am. Two feet deep with silver dollars, flew over in a jetliner and dropped that one in the middle. And then you took a man with with a parachute and a blindfold and you threw him out. And he said, you can walk all over as long as you want, but you only get to pick up one silver dollar. That's the odds of those eight prophecies being fulfilled in one person. Do you want to go try to find that silver dollar, right? That is the prophecy. Do we have our... Sermon available? There we go. I thought it was there. Uh, That's, that is the amazing work of God in our lives. Today we're going to look at how God fulfilled a couple prophecies. We're only going to look at a couple prophecies through these scriptures. But the big thing I want you to get out of this is how God moved in people's lives to provide for the fulfillment of these. Because the same God that was moving in the Christmas story is the same God that moves in your life today. So as we... Okay, this is going to be one of those mornings, right? Here we go. Come on. It says it's on. Oh, goodness sakes. There we go. I think my battery's dead. I, I, I have my... Uh, my the, the technology guru is coming. Ashley, can you move us on to the next one while we're waiting for those? Turn turn to Luke chapter 2. We're going to be in Luke chapter 2 and Matthew chapter 1 today as we look at the miracles that took place to make the Christmas morning happen. Luke chapter 2 verses 1 to 5. Now in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census would be taken of all the inhabited earth. And this was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each one to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him And was with child. All right, there we go. Jesus would be from a specific part of Israel. That's the first one we're gonna look at. In Isaiah 9, it says this: But there will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish. In earlier times, he treated the land of Zebulun. And the land of Naphtali with contempt. But later, later on, he shall make it glorious by the way of the sea on the other side of the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light, and those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. You see, Jesus was going to be from a place called Nazareth, right? That's where his parents were from. Well, where is Nazareth? So uh, let me see if I got a little pointer here. There we go. So you see this little place up here called Zebulun. Isn't that what we were just talking about? The land of Zebulun? Right next to Naphtali, there is the Sea of Galilee. That is where Jesus was going to come from. That's where his parents were. That was where he would live. But God needed to move him 60 miles. Whoops. He needed to move him 60 miles from right there where Nazareth is, right down here to a little place called Bethlehem. Little place called Bethlehem. He needed to move him 60 miles because Micah tells us in Micah 5:2. But as for you, Bethlehem, after uh, Africa, too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you, one will go forth for me to be the ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago and from the days of eternity. Now, how was God going to move this young couple, two people, 60 miles? Because I don't know about you, but when somebody's pregnant, they don't like moving. Uh, my wife was six months pregnant with our first child when we came from Liberty at Lynchburg, Virginia, back to Oregon in the middle of December. Yeah. Yeah, those potty breaks have to take place on regular schedule, right? It was a, it was a long trip. And the last, the last 250 miles were in snow in a Toyota Celica pulling a trailer over the Siskiyou Summit. God moves heaven and earth sometimes to get us to different places. But how is he going to get these two from Nazareth where Isaiah said would be his hometown to Bethlehem? There's There's not a whole lot. Bethlehem was just a little bitty place. There wasn't a whole lot of reason to go there. So God said, hey, guess what? He says, I'm going to use an emperor to get them from Nazareth to Bethlehem. An emperor, Caesar Augustus, all the way over in Rome. He says, hey, I need some money. I need some money for my armies. I need some money to, to keep me in the way I'm, I want to be. And so he said, I'm going to have a census because we got to know who all the people are so we can tax them. Had a, and here's an emperor all the way. And he says, that's how I'm going to get him there. I'm going to move an emperor in Rome to make an edict That says, everybody has to go to your hometown. And where was the hometown of Joseph and Mary? Bethlehem. They were of the line of David. And Bethlehem was the city of David. Little bitty town. About six miles south of Jerusalem. And God moved an emperor to do that. How far does God need to move you today? Do you need to be moved 60 miles? Do you need to be moved someplace? God may indeed use an emperor to move you. Did you know that? Proverbs 21.1 says, The king's heart is like the channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. And God may be moving today to put people in the exact place He wants them to be. Have you ever thought about that? You see, this was the first Advent, right? The first time God came to the, came to the earth. We call it the first, it's the Advent season. But God said what? That He would come a second time. There's going to be a second Advent. And God is moving people as we speak into all the right places he needs them to be for the second advent to come. And you know, we kind of, sometimes things happen in our government and we grumble a little bit, don't we? Right? Oh, none of you grumble, right? Oh, the government, what are they doing? Right? But do you realize what God is doing he has the king's heart, and he's channeling him. And we may not agree. Can you imagine what all of those wonderful people, because this was in not just Israel. It was in the entire Roman Empire. He was moving people back to their hometowns to get this census taking place. They knew they were going to be taxed. Do you think a lot of people are going, Woohoo! we're going to get taxed by the Roman king? There was a lot of people. There was a lot of grumbling going on. But God was doing it to move two people 60 miles. I don't know what kind of miracle you need in your life for God to move you to the place you need to be for Him to work a miracle in your life. But God does that. He will move. And what's our part in all of this? You know, we say God will move a king. In 1 Timothy too. He says, first of all, then, I urge the entreaties and prayers and petitions and thanksgiving be made on the behalf of all men. For who? For kings and all who are in authority, so that you may lead tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men, to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. You catch why God wants us to pray? Yeah, it's for to have this nice quiet life, right? But it's also what? So that all men can be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. That's why God says it doesn't matter What what is going on up there? You have an obligation to pray because God is working and he's doing things that we have no idea of what's happening. But God would use him to fulfill that prophecy that Jesus would be born where? In Bethlehem. Amen? Well, let's go on with our story Let's go to Luke chapter 2 and let's look at the next two verses. Verses 6 and 7. And while they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. And she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Wow. Can you imagine what it felt like to be Mary and Joseph? I want to go back to the story that uh, Hunter talked about. Here's this young couple. Now, all of the people who were from the city, of who were in the line of David, all of the people, all of Joseph's cousin, all of Mary's family, they would have been headed all in the same direction, weren't they? Do you hear anything in the story about how they all went? No, it says that Mary and Joseph went. Maybe they had a donkey with them. You know, we, we like to see that we see that a lot, of, a lot in Scripture where you see the pregnant lady on the donkey as, as, but they went by themselves. Why was that? She was pregnant, out of wedlock. They had, they had, They were betrothed, which means they weren't married yet. They were engaged. And Joseph, instead of divorcing her, he said, no. I'm going to keep her as my wife because the angel told me. And everybody's looking at him like, you guys are crazy. You guys are living in sin. They were ostracized. And and have you ever thought about why there was no room in the inn? Right? Everybody was traveling. There was a lot of people coming. Bethlehem is a small little town. And it wasn't a holiday inn they were going to, folks. There were no reservations. Most of the time when you see that word inn, it depicts a house where people were renting out rooms in their house for travelers. And all of a sudden they were inundated with all of these people that were coming and they got there and she was pregnant. Big and pregnant. Because very soon we're going to see that she, he's born. Can you imagine what it was like to be in the... Oh, we don't have any rooms available. I mean, think of all this going on. I believe that the story preceded them. That the family said, Oh yeah, Mary and Joseph were going to come and yeah. Right? Because we're really good at at spreading rumors. Oh yeah, and they got this crazy story about the Holy Spirit and angels. And even the innkeeper couldn't find compassion in his heart to say, hey, we've got a little corner over here. You can lay your mat down there and you can have your baby inside. No. He says, you guys got a tent. You guys have traveled all the way up from Nazareth. Where did they, they camped out along the way. It took them a number of days to get there. So said, you pitch your tent out by the, by the corral, and you can have your baby in the barn. Wow. What, does that kind of remind you of the world today? The world's like that, isn't it? Oh, don't mention Christmas, because that means that's about Christ. We're going to say, Happy Holidays. You know, when we, when we talk about the real reason for Christmas, they just kind of sneer and, and laugh. <laughs> you just believe whatever you want to believe. Because the, the world looks at, and they don't have a place for Jesus in their heart. I mean, even common courtesy would say, I'll give up my room for you to have this baby inside. That wasn't even there. I wonder how that innkeeper felt when all the shepherds started gathering around, coming in, and all of a sudden the singing is breaking out around the stable. And people, the, the shepherds began to talk about, hey, this little baby, it's the Messiah. I think the innkeeper was a little embarrassed. Hebrews 13, 2 says, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by some you have entertained angels without knowing it. And he entertained the Son of God and didn't know it, and said, you... Can be born in the barn. No compassion. The innkeeper. But I think that was to remind us. That that's the way the world is. The world doesn't see. The king. The world doesn't see. That this little bitty baby. Is the Messiah. He will be. The Savior. Well, there's another part of the story I want us to get to, and that's in Matthew chapter 2. And I'm going to read the first 13 verses. Matthew chapter 2, the first 13 verses, and we're going to see another prophecy that's fulfilled. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who's been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And gathering together all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. And they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet, You, Bethlehem, land of Judea, are no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will be shepherd, my people Israel. And then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go search carefully for the child. And when you have found him, report to me so that I too may come and worship him. And after hearing the king, they went their way. And the star, which they had seen in the east, went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And after coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother... And they fell to the ground and worshipped him, and then opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. Now when they had gone, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take this child and his mother, and flee to Egypt. And remain there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child and destroy him. And we're going to stop there because the rest of the story gets pretty grim about why they had to flee. But the, but the, the prophecy in Hosea 11, one says, And when Israel was a youth, I loved him. And out of Egypt... I will call my son. Now we, we just got him 60 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Now we need to move him all the way from Bethlehem down south and over to Egypt. To fulfill a prophecy. Hosea 11:1. How are we going to get him to Egypt? Well, it took an evil king and three wise men to get him there. Now, I want you to understand a little bit something about, about this king, Herod. Herod was one of the most despicable people you could imagine. He was, he was put in there, put in power by Rome. He was indeed a Jewish person, but he really did not live that out in his life. As a matter of fact, every time it came to big decisions that would help him in his In his office as king. He would do something dastardly. He took his first wife and son. And banished them. So that he could marry. The daughter of a king of Assyria. To establish himself. And later on. He would kill them both. When they. Threatened his throne. That's the kind of man. Herod was. And when these. Three wise men came from the east. And really, it's interesting because it doesn't really tell us a whole time frame here. All we know is that, A, he's not called the baby anymore. He's called a child. And B, when they come to visit, he's no longer in a manger. He's in a house. So they've stayed there long enough because this process of census wasn't like ours where they hire thousands and thousands of people to walk up your door and say, Hello? Right? Phil, we're going to fill out the sentence form for you. Now it was Roman soldiers that were, went, were going around from city to city and they were having people come present their documents. Who are you? Who are all your family names? This is how much we're going to tax you. And, and so it took quite a while. And so the so Jesus and Joseph and Mary are hanging out. They had time to either build a house or, or, or to find one to rent. And they didn't have much money because just like we saw last week when, in Hunter's message, when they went to the temple to have him circumcised, they gave the, the least sacrifice, two turtle doves. That was the poor man's sacrifice. They didn't have anything. And they were waiting. For that to happen. And then Herod comes and they say what? They're looking for the king of the Jews. And Herod's going, hmm. Somebody's trying to assert my throne. And this may be a little bitty baby. But I'm going to take care of this. I mean he's conniving all the way. When you, he pulls him aside right? And see, when you find him you come tell me. So I can come worship. He had no, he did not want to worship this little child, the king of the Jews. He would destroy anything that, that stood in his way. And he said, they call the wise men, or they, they call all of the, all of the scribes to, to come, and they said, oh yeah, Bethlehem, six miles away. Six miles miles away. Now I'm, I'm kind of wondering why in the world Herod didn't just go himself. But you know what? He hadn't opened his heart to God. He hadn't even seen the star. He had no idea where Jesus was and even if he had went, he couldn't have found him. Because he wasn't seeking. The wise men were The wise men saw the star in the east. The wise men had been following it, and we really don't know how far they went. Because a lot of times they talk about the east being as as close as just the other side of the desert, maybe three or four weeks. But they could have come from much farther away. We don't know how long they traveled. All they said is, we saw the star, and we've been following it. And that star must have been pretty high up in the sky for them to follow it. You ever do that at night, you watch, you get and you watch the stars, you find the you find the big dipper, right? And then you go, "Whoop, okay, here's the north star. I know where north is now. I can make it that way, north." But they were following a specific star. And it says that that star came and stood over where Jesus lay. Now, I I want you to think about that. When you look up at the night sky, those stars don't move. But that star did. When I say God moved heaven and earth to bring about his will, he, he moved the stars to land on top of where the baby laid. Top where Jesus was with Mary and Joseph. Brought them to the house. Now, why, why did God move these three wise men? I believe there's two reasons. The first is that they were seekers. They had been paying attention. Somehow they knew that the Messiah was going to come. It had been foretold. They had read the Torah. They had read the prophets. They they had, had somehow learned that there was a Messiah that was coming and they were ready to go. And they followed the star. They, God was speaking in their hearts. And you know, this Christmas season, I believe, is one of those times when God puts a specific drawing in people's hearts when the Holy Spirit begins to draw them to the Savior. And he drew them all the way from the east. Because when they got done, what did they do? They went back. And they told the story. We met this little bitty baby that will be king of the Jews. We met him in Bethlehem just as the prophet said in Hosea. Just uh, just as the prophet said in Micah. We found the king and they took that back so the gospel would be open into the east. One of the largest churches that was established after the crucifixion was in Ethiopian. When the Ethi- Remember the Ethiopian eunuch that came and was traveling and Philip went and, and they were in the book of Isaiah. And Philip sat down and he said, hey, he had come to Jerusalem seeking Jesus, and he got saved and he went back and one of the biggest churches that was established in the early church was in Ethiopia because they were seeking and God was saying, he's here, come. And when they went back, they told everyone about this. The second reason is how do we get Jesus to Egypt? Because they are broke. They don't have a lot of money. He, Joseph didn't ha- Joseph probably said, hung out, you know, a little little sign outside, see, you know, we'll work for, for food, you know. He said, I- I'm a carpenter. I can come and repair your chairs or repair your tables or whatever you need done. I can do that. He was the Joel Pearsall of Bethlehem. He can fix it. But that doesn't bring a lot of money in, does it? They needed enough money to make that big trip all the way to Egypt and then stay there until Herod died. And that's what the wise men brought, didn't they? The wise men brought the gold, the frankincense, the myrrh as a gift. And that funded their trip to Egypt. And then an angel said, hey, it's time to get out of town. I need you to go because a terrible thing's going to happen. Herod, when he learned that he was fooled, sent his men and he said, I want you to kill every child, every male child under the age of two years old. And that actually was another uh, that was another of the f- of the fulfillment of prophecy. And you can read more about that if you want to. But God moved them, moved literally heaven and earth to get them to Egypt. Now folks, you can say, but what does that have to do with me? What does that have to do with me today? Folks, I want you to know that God loves you so much that he will move heaven and earth to meet whatever need you have today. He will move you 60 miles to bring you to a place where you can be healed. He'll move you A 1,000 miles to a place where you will be safe. And he can move the king's heart to put you in the place you need to be. Because I want you to understand something. The same God that worked in the first advent of Jesus is preparing us for the second advent. Because one of these days, What does it say? We're going to hear a trumpet. And we are going to hear Gabriel call. And he's going to say, time is done for the church. He's going to take us away. And we need to be in that place where God wants us to be. You see, there's a lot of people that needed to be in Bethlehem at the right place at the right time. And God brought them all there. Every one of them. And as our mathematics professor said, it was 10 to the 17th power to get them there. But they all made it. And this Christmas season, I hope whatever your need is, you are on the road to Bethlehem. At least you're on the road. You may not be there yet. You may be struggling up through the hills just like Mary and Joseph did. But Bethlehem is where the Savior is. And I don't care how disappointing you feel life is right now, it doesn't matter that you're looking at a mountain and you're saying, I don't know how I will get over that mountain. My God is the mover of mountains. He will bring you to the cross. He will bring you to the Savior if you'll just ask him to. And everything is there that you need he will bring kings from the east to provide if that's what you need and he brought this little bitty baby to this earth not to lead them in a in an insurrection against rome but uh, so that he would be raised To become the savior of the world. He only lived 33 years. And then he was hung on a cross. For you and for me. So that we could have eternal life. 33 years. If I were to do his funeral I would probably say a life cut short. But God knew exactly what we needed. We needed a savior. And Jesus, when he, when he came to his disciples 33 years after that wonderful birth and said, hey guys, I'm getting ready to leave. And you need to know something. You need to know that all of this, all these three years you've traveled with me, all of the dust that you ate on the roads as you followed me all over Jerusalem. That was not without vain because you are going to be left here. But, but you're going to be left here knowing how much I gave for you. He said, this is my body which is broken for you. He said, that's how much I love you. And that love is not going to stop just because I die, because I'm going to rise again. He said, this is my blood which is shed for you for the remission of sin so that you will be saved and then he said after he had that last supper with them he looked at them and he said guys I go to prepare a place for you and if it were not so I would have told you and if I go to prepare a place for you I will come again and receive you into myself, that where I am, there you may be also. What a wonderful gift he gave us. Salvation that ends in eternity.